This is a UC Public Policy Channel program from the Goldman School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. Visit us at www.uctv.tv/public-policy for more discussion on solutions for the good of all. Hello and welcome. Today's guest is Carmen Chu, the assessor recorder for the County of San Francisco and a former member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Carmen, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So you've been in elected office for almost 10 years, six on the Board of Supes, three as the assessor recorder. Um, You can seemingly count the Goldman grads who have run for office on one hand. Why do you think so few of us do that? You know, I think many of us who have gone through the Goldman program care a lot about our impacts to um, our communities and want to do good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it may just be that um, there are, people don't talk about leadership. They talk about sort of all the skills that you need perhaps to um, be successful in analyzing policy and helping decision makers. But one of the things that I hope will happen is that there's an emphasis on what it means to be leaders in the community. What does it mean to be a leader in government? Um, And hopefully people like me and others who have paved the way can really help people to be thinking about that and to know that that's an option for them uh, going forward. And you actually did both. You were an analyst, right, before you were an elected. So what makes you different from the the normal Goldman crowd? Well, you know, I think sometimes... um, It is just the unique situation of opportunity and Mm. when things happen. But I think really what I hope to um, share with our grads is just be ready for any opportunity that comes up. I think for my situation, it really was an unusual one. I don't think that I had thought about being in elective office. Um, I surely wanted to do good and to help my community, but really didn't think about doing it through um, an office holder position. Um, But when the opportunity presented itself, um, I had the skill set, I had the desire um, that I had learned through the Goldman School, amongst other opportunities, to really step into the role. And so I hope that folks really just start to get ready, think about themselves as leaders. They're not just analysts who are behind the scenes. They really are people who are helping to drive change. And it's a different perspective. It's a perspective that in every role that they are taking, they are leaders. And a lot of elected officials say, I wasn't always prepping to be an elected official. But in your case, it's actually true. You were sort of appointed almost overnight, right? I mean, your entry into elected office through your appointment was a pretty unusual one. It was. I can remember that I was, the weekend right before I was appointed, I was going shopping with my friends. We were having an In-N-Out burger. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't have cared less about politics or any yeah. um, other thing. And then, you know, on a Monday, I was sitting at my cubicle yeah. talking to a department about performance measures and how they were doing. Well, uh, what office were you in, just for the, our listeners? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I was uh, sitting as a uh, the deputy director of the mayor's budget office. Okay. In San Francisco. In San Francisco. And so, you know, I was sitting at our the cubicle talking to a department about, you know, performance measures. And then all of a sudden, you know, I see the mayor of San Francisco sitting, waiting on a chair right across the way. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I better hang up the phone right now. <laughs> uh, and we started this conversation. And before you know it, I had one night to think about it. And the next day I was sworn in and voting on the board of supervisors. Yeah. So it was a very quick transition. It was not one um, that I had thought I would be doing. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, the necessity of rising to the occasion came and, uh, it was a good one, a right. good challenge. So we'll talk more about that, but I want to go backwards for a second. Yeah. So we're both first-generation Americans, oh. born in the States to parents who were born outside the States. Um, my, so my mom's from India, and I, I love comparing notes uh, on this with other people who are first-generation Goldman grads. What did your parents say, or how did they react when you told them you were going to go get something called an MPP? <laughs> 
I don't think they, I don't, still don't think that they know exactly what an <laughs> yeah, MVP is, right, frankly. Right. Um, I think that they understand in general, you know, there's sometimes loss in translation, right? Yeah. So um, my first language is English, their first language is Chinese. And so being able to even communicate what it is that public policy means is, right. is difficult. Yeah. But being able to use the simple word of government, for example, they all of a sudden understand, okay, you want to go into government, right? right? Um, but I think, you know, they, one, one thing that they were um, concerned about at least when I was going into this was, well, what is it? What does it really mean? I don't really understand what it is. But I think once you talk about, well, it's about government, it's about community service, it's about giving back, right. then I think they really started to understand uh, what it could be. Right, right. I um, So I got a, a MPP and a JD. Yeah. And for the longest time, my oldest uncle on my mom's side told everyone I was getting a JD MBA. <laughs> I corrected him over and over and yeah. over. And either... He was telling people what he wished was true, yeah. or it was just the closest approximation to what he knew. Yeah. And so it yeah. was the MPP was not on anyone's radar, no. right? No. Um, did your parents and family ever try to convince you, this is early on when you're just getting it, right? Did, did they ever convince you to go into something more stable, more maybe more financially stable? I think, frankly, for my parents, my, my mom and dad, they never had the opportunity to go to high school, mm. much less college. And so when they immigrated, they jumped right into um, working jobs like being a seamstress, working in restaurants, and then eventually opening their own business. So I think for them, just the fact that I was going to college yeah. and getting an education was something that they felt was a barrier that they had never been able to surpass. So I think going on to whatever profession I was going to go into would have just been uh, you know, uh, the, the icing on the cake, so to speak, for them. And going to an MPP program or any kind of advanced education was already good enough. Right, right. So I feel very fortunate that my parents, they supported me in what I wanted to do. And I think for them, it was just about education, just making sure that you prepare yourself and that you had the opportunities right. they didn't have. Right. And so if you had prepped them by saying an MPP means government and, and giving back to the community, how did they react when you told them, Hey, mom and dad, I've been appointed over, literally overnight to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Uh, you know, I think they had probably a very different reaction than other people would. Oh, really? They were very worried. Uh-huh. You know, the first question that came from my dad was, well, what does that mean? Are you going to eat well? Or, you know, <laughs> the way that they show concern was, you know, are you eating well? Right, How are right, you doing? And right, so on. Sure. Because um, of the stress? I think they didn't know what it would mean to be in public office, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. They have, um, they've seen generally politics and how things work, but they've not really had been involved with politics themselves. They were, um, again, they had immigrated here, so English wasn't their first language, so they weren't involved themselves in um, you know, politics or those kinds of, of activities. So I don't think that they really understood it, except that they were a little bit worried about, well, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Does that mean you're going to have a lot more scrutiny? What does it mean in terms of pressure? What does it mean for you know, your, your life? Is this what you want to be doing? And so I think they had a lot more concerns as parents to me than, than anything. I think a lot of parents from, who are immigrant parents from countries where politicians are maybe not well-respected. Often there's lots of corruption and so on. This is the case for me and a lot of friends yeah. and colleagues. Um, going into politics and being a pol politician um, isn't a, a well-regarded sort of um, profession. Like, did you have to overcome any of that with not, maybe not your parents, but the extended family? Uh, no, I think everybody, frankly, was very supportive of, excited. of taking yeah. on the responsibility and the role. Um, I think, you know, people didn't know that I would be doing this. Um, you know, my parents, when I was younger, growing up as an elementary school kid, they were worried. They were like, you don't speak to anybody. You're so shy. How are you going to ever make it in this world? Right. 
Um, but I think, again, we all rise to the occasion when, yeah. it, when it is demanded of us. And I think at the end of the day, if we have a reason why we're doing it, why we want to be in this role, no matter how hard or difficult the road may seem, right. it'll, it'll help you to persevere. And I think a, a one thing that a number of people who are first generation, who have parents who perhaps like, didn't go to college right. or graduate school, aren't in professional fields, right, is that when that enormous opportunity is presented to them, there's that voice inside their head that says, am I really the right person for this? Shouldn't, isn't there someone else who should be more prepared, right? When I was presented with opportunities in my career, my mom was the one telling me, like, surely there's someone older who's <laughs> more prepared to do that job, right? Why are they giving it to you? So it sounds like one of, the thing, one of your takeaways for women, women of color, at Goldman maybe, um, recent grads, seize that opportunity. I hope that, that people do, that they have a lot more ability um, than they may even see for themselves. Mm. You know, I think stepping into the role from going as an analyst, as someone who was a deputy director of the mayor's budget office, who was much more behind the scenes to all of a sudden a politician, someone who was before the public light, I think it really was just believing in yourself that you have the skills and the abilities, you have the right intentions, you know, all of those things that make it a good recipe to be a representative. Yeah. Um, sometimes we may not see that in ourselves, but we really do have a lot of those skills that are already there. Yeah. So I think just really don't be afraid of taking that leap and, and trying it out. Yeah. You know, a lot of us have built the skills and we have gone into public service, public policy, into government because we want to make change. And why not be the decision maker? Mm-hmm. So when you were a decision maker on the board of supervisors, how did your Goldman education impact you and the way you did your work? I always look back upon not only my Goldman experience, but also the experience I had growing up in an immigrant family Mm -hmm. to help inform me. Mm -hmm. Um, The way that it really helped to inform me was really to understand that at the end of the day, you've got data and policy and Mm -hmm. analysis that hopefully helps you to craft um, good policy going forward. But I think you can never forget also what it means to the community. When you have policy and uh, information to lead you one direction, it's also important to think back about, well, how does this really impact the community? What will be the results of it? Right. And are people going to be able to benefit the way that you'd want them to through programs that we're implementing? So I think both of the experiences, both the analytic rigor that I was taught at Goldman, but also how I was brought up, helps me to be a better policymaker. Right. right. I was um, recently at a, a house party attended by the mayor of Oakland, Libby Schaff, and yeah. she was talking through a number of issues and hearing from constituents as she was sort of raising one issue after another, drugs or crime in the neighborhood or whatever. And the mayor and her staff clearly were deeply informed in the policy right. research in these fields right. and had to integrate that into a conversation while other people were coming back at them with their lived experience, yeah. saying, like, I understand you have research on homelessness and ways to resolve it, but there's a homeless encampment down the street from my house and my kids are afraid to walk to school. And so people like you are balancing what you learned at Goldman, the tools and the information you learned at Goldman, with that sort of firsthand lived experience for folks. Right. Um, was that ever a challenge for you? Um, I don't think so. You know, I think that everything that you get, I mean, analysis and data and information get you so far, mm-hmm. right? They help to inform decision-making. Uh, certainly best practices help you to understand what has been successful in other places and what could work here. 
But at the end of the day, you have to take all that information and really see how does it apply to my community and does it work, right? Yeah. And I think part of the, I hope the spirit that people have is will, a willingness to try something, right? Yeah. Yeah. To listen to good data, good facts, good information, and really say, well, if my goal is eventually to help alleviate this problem, what is the best way to do it? And I think one of the things to, to think about is, you know, data and policy and that kind of information helps to get you part of the way, mm. but you really need to bring the community with you mm -hmm. to make sure that um, the policies you are implementing actually do work. Right, right. That are reflective of community interest Absolutely. and have community backing, which is necessary for them to be successful. Absolutely. Right? So let's talk a little bit about San Francisco. Sure. So the economy of the city is booming. Unemployment is at record lows. Um, and yet polls still show that the residents of the city are dissatisfied with the direction mm. the city is taking. And I, I pulled a quote from a Chronicle article from June of this year. The city seems both wealthier and smellier, mm. more affluent and less caring. So the city and its residents want something more complex than just economic growth. What do you think it would take for those polls that say San Francisco is on the wrong track to change direction? Yeah, you know, I think that San Francisco, we uh, have been um, very successful in being a city that people want to be part of. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the residents who benefit from the extreme diversity that we have that is really fantastic, um, and the great restaurants and the amenities in our public parks and everything else that, that San Francisco brings with it, um, it, it also poses pressures in terms of what we have. At the end of the day, San Francisco is a seven mile by seven mile city. And so when you think about the pressures, there's a lot of it around, well, what should we be doing in our city? What kind of activities should we have? What kind of housing should we have? Mm -hmm. You know, the only way that we're going to be able to move forward as a city together is really to bring um, the diverse voices in to say, what is it that we need to do to have a more successful economy that is not just um, focused on one area, but how do we bring our all of our communities with it? Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, if we are beginning to see that we are becoming more of a tech culture mm -hmm. or we have a lot more advanced biotechnology and research facilities, are we helping our residents, the students that we have, to get prepared for that economy? So I think there is a lot of planning work that we can be doing to say, what is our economy looking like and who is benefiting from this? How do we help our residents and the people who live in our city and the, the area really benefit to be able to take part in that economy? Right. Um, we can do a lot more work realigning both the vision of the future with kind of what we're doing now to get people being part of it. Yeah. And it sounds like you're saying there needs to be short-term solutions like inclusionary zoning or whatever that creates affordable housing in the short term, but also long-term solutions so that if you start tr training kids in the San Francisco school district in kindergarten or first grade to be prepared for the economies that are in the industries that are present in the city, you'll have a more sort of well-balanced city in the long term. I think, I think that if we know that we're heading in a certain direction, that we're looking for a particular skill set um, in the city, our future economy, so to speak, it's important for us to think about how are we bringing along with us all of our communities mm -hmm. from the elementary school level all the way up. We're certainly beginning to do a lot more of that in partnership with the San Francisco Unified School District, which I think is great, and we need to do more. Um, we need to do more to also get people interested in government service, mm -hmm. for example. Um, we have uh, a huge number of people who are going to be retiring from San Francisco who are uh, leaving behind very large institutional knowledge that they're taking with them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know, with all the competing activities and possibilities for our young people, we want to let people know that government is actually a very exciting place to be. And if people are interested in serving their community and helping to actually make change, being part of it is really a great way to do that. It's very impactful. Right. So I'm hoping that just as we prepare our students for new technologies and other things that might be happening in terms of economic activity in the city, that we are also encouraging people to take part in governance of our city because we also need brilliant, smart people to be yeah. leading our city to do the right things, to plan the right um, way, and to make sure that we're inclusive of different and diverse communities. It sounds like you need to be at the next Goldman Career Fair <laughs> recruiting so. for the city of San Francisco. I hope so. Um, so, speaking of exactly that, I have a friend from Goldman who um, is now working for the city of Oakland. Uh, and he was sharing his thoughts on, on housing and uh, uh, in housing in the Bay Area. And what he basically said was that housing in the Bay Area is a regional problem without the regional mechanisms necessary to devise solutions. Mm. And so his point was that job growth in one city or one county doesn't necessarily result in housing pressures in that city or county. It results in ha- housing pressures and affordability pressures in other cities, in other counties. And so the revenues that might be generated through all that growth doesn't align with where the need results. Um, so I'd be interested in your thoughts on whether you agree with that sort of conceptualization of the problem and whether that means that tax sharing of some kind, where you distribute sort of resources across boundaries, would be a solution for that problem. Well, it's an interesting one because in San Francisco, we have roughly about 800,000 residents or so. And on a typical weekday when people are coming into work, our population grows to over a million. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of our city workers who are coming into the city to do their job and then they leave and go back to wherever their homes are um, in the whole region. And so one of the things that I've been involved with is an organization called SPUR and we've been doing a lot of work on how to best coordinate um, planning across different cities and counties in the Bay Area region to meet those demands. Because we know that Certainly some people will live in San Francisco, but also people may choose to live in a different location as well. So how do we build um, the transportation infrastructure that can help move people more efficiently from place to place, wherever the economic centers will be? Um, But also how is it that we're going to have housing that is tied more closely to those transportation areas so that people can live also in a very convenient way to, to hop onto those public transportation? So I do think that being able to have regional solutions is certainly something that could benefit all of our all of our different cities and counties. Yeah, and, and I forget exactly what where I read this, but I think something like the population of Cleveland, Ohio, takes BART or the Bay Bridge across the bay every single day. <laughs> Basically, so we're talking about we're talking about a, a region that is highly interconnected. That's right. Are there regions that you think stand as a model for how to collaborate across city or county boundaries? Um, you know, frankly, I couldn't tell you at this moment yeah. which ones they would be, but I do know that for our areas, you know, we've been building on these efforts, whether it's through our shared sort of MTC process and others, to really figure out how do we do regional planning better. Um, I think the state of California is starting to look a little bit more into that and how they're funding different um, initiatives. And so I think we're beginning to be really in the beginning stages of what that could look like. And hopefully, especially with cooperation amongst the leadership in the different cities and counties, we can start to get to that place. Right. So as the assessor recorder for the county of San Francisco, right, um, I'm assuming... First of all, I know that position works closely with accessor recorders in other in other counties, right? So, but I'm assuming when you're in those spaces, 
uh, you look fairly different from most of your peers. Um, uh, so while you, on the one hand, you might be younger, you might be one of the few women or people of color, I'm guessing you're also one of the only people who was an elected member of the Board of Supervisors for the county, right? So how does your difference from your colleagues in those spaces manifest? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's, the state of California has 58 different counties, and in every one of those counties, there is one elected assessor. Um, there are very few women assessors throughout the state of California, and there's only one Asian-American hmm. assessor, and that That's is me. you. Um, and so... I think that there there is a um, added responsibility when you are in that role to be the only Asian American or one of the only few women to really say I have a seat at this table and I have um, a valuable perspective to bring and in particular being San Francisco a very valuable perspective to yeah. bring um, you know we all administer the state law but as you can imagine in San Francisco with the pressures on housing on prices for real estate we also are amongst the first counties to really see the most creative ownership structures in real estate compared Mm. to the rest of the state. And so the obligation then to be on top of how we handle policy and laws is even more important. So you're right, there is um, a difference when you walk into the room, but I think at the end of the day, the professionalism and the experience that we bring really um, lend itself to establishing why we're there and why we participate and why we take leadership. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like you're not just different in your sort of the way um, in your identity when you walk through the room, but also you have to be a leader on some of these issues because San Francisco is so unique, so dynamic, and so ahead of the curve when compared to other counties. That's right. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, as an assessor recorder, right, as someone who runs a unit of government, and as someone who um, is the child of immigrant small business owners who had to interact with government, right, how do you take the lessons from watching your parents, right, run their businesses or maybe working in their businesses when you were young and watching them struggle with red tape and so on? How does that influence how you do your job and make your office accessible to the public now that you're in office? Right. Yeah, as a as a young person, I grew up in my family's business, and so every weekend, my sisters and I would actually would go there. We would help um, wait the table. My parents had a restaurant, so whether it was waiting on the table, whether it was washing dishes, cleaning the bathroom, whatever it took, we helped during the weekends when we were not in school. Mm-hmm. And so, I think really being part of a family where my parents couldn't speak English very well, it was my sisters and I's responsibility to help with translating documents, yeah. with helping my parents to understand when you receive this notice that looks very scary and very official, what does it really mean, um, really helped to influence me in thinking about how I provide government services now. And so it's informed me that it's important for government to reach out to all constituencies, whether or not someone can speak English or not. We've got to be cognizant of how it is that we're reaching out to our small businesses and to our communities. We have to make every effort that we can to communicate um, programs and benefits also to communities that otherwise wouldn't know about them. There's an added responsibility, I believe, to do that and to do that well. And so that's why in my office I've taken those experiences and have really prioritized things like language services for Mm -hmm. our constituents who come in and emphasize that regardless of who walks in the door, our job is to treat them with respect and with patience and to share um, as much information as we possibly can to help them um, understand that as government, we exist to serve the public. Right. So um, let's talk about um, millennials. Uh, so this is that's, it's a term that um, no millennial I know actually uses. Um, and, uh, but um, 
I think a lot of current Goldman students who are maybe in their mid-20s are millennials. Um, and the sort of uh, the stereotype of millennials is they want instant gratification um, and they're looking for, they're, they're, everyone's trying to get famous in some way. It's not a stereotype necessarily um, that fits the go work as an analyst in city government sort of crunching those spreadsheets every single day to make your community a better place in an incremental way, right? So um, as someone who's been the analyst and then moved from the analyst role to a leadership role, how do you sell uh, the idea of your career path, at least the early half of your career path, Mm -hmm. to a new generation that might look at it and say, that's boring? Well, I think... I think that to simplify and to stereotype people in that way is probably a disservice totally to the generation. Totally agree. Sorry. Right? Totally agree. Um, and I, I think that regardless of the, the age that, you know, of person that I've interacted with, most people who I've come into contact with, whether they're younger or they're older, they have this desire to have meaning or find meaning in their work. Right. And whether it is I'm creating something new and bring, to bring to the marketplace yeah. or whatever it may be. So I think for those people who are looking to really make an impact on community and to really say, you know what, I did this project and there are people who can really benefit and I really am helping people. Yeah. This is a profession and a career that really should speak to them. Um, I think that a lot of times people say, well, when I think about government, maybe I think about pencil pushing, maybe about paper pushing, maybe I think about like a lot of paperwork and red tape. Mm-hmm. But in fact, you know, I think one of the things that I hope to dispel is that government is actually incredibly, incredibly diverse and interesting. Mm. Um, you know, they think about office work when they think about government. But I like to go to talk to students and say, did you know that our government runs an airport, that we run the water supply system that serves the entire region, that we do economic development deals to help bring activity um, into our city, that we are working to be firefighters and public safety professionals that we help to encourage filmmaking in the city and that we have programs called the Office of um, Small Business and the Film Commission to help do that. The work of the city is really diverse. And so whether you're an artist or a lawyer or you are a healthcare professional, there's actually a job there Mm -hmm. that we are looking to recruit people to do. And so I think one of the things I hope is that if the millennials or any generation of person is interested in finding meaning in their work, government is really the place to make that impact a big impact impact on that. And not only that, you'd be surprised at the variety of work we have to do. Right. Uh, every time the New York Times writes an article about millennials, it ends up being embarrassing for millennials, but also for the New York Times, because it's just people from another generation applying a set of stereotypes right. to young people. Right. And it always seems to miss the fact that the, this generation, this younger generation, uh, participates in volunteerism on a more regular basis than any generation before. But that doesn't fit the sort of stereotype or the notion of millennials as like a self-absorbed generation. So there is a core of public service, right, that, uh, that is present there that yeah. I think you can, that you're speaking to. Yeah. Um, so where can people find your work and stay updated on, on you and the work of the, the assessor's office? Well, they can come to our website. So right. just going to sfgov.org is a place where they can start. So going to our San Francisco government website, you'll find our web pages right there and you'll find more information. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Jonathan Stein. I am pleased to have been joined by Carmen Chu today. Thank you again, Carmen. Uh, I'm on Twitter at at underscore Jonathan Stein. Thanks for joining us.